0: The concept of retirement in this country is broken. We work ourselves to death and we miss out on so many of life's precious experiences. And as a certified financial planner and CPA here in Nashville, Tennessee, I'm committed to helping free others from this antiquated mindset using my three-bucket approach to managing money and to find creative ways to live now and retire while you work. Join me as we change the way we think about money and time and which one of these is the true currency. Hello, everybody. Uh, Welcome. Um, Needless to say, uh, a lot has gone on since our last webinar. I believe it was the week before the election. Um, And now we have a uh, projected winner, uh, Biden. Um, But currently, as a lot of you know, results are being disputed. But unlikely that that's um, probably going to get overturned. Uh, We have a Senate that appears to be red. However, that as well is um, still up in the air as we have another election um, coming up in early January. Um, but you know, the market always likes balance. So that's something that we've historically seen as a positive thing. So to be determined on that, we'll have more to talk about obviously over the next few weeks and certainly towards the beginning of the year. Um, also we have COVID, uh, COVID numbers are, are spiking as we go into winter, which a lot, of, a lot of us anticipated, but there's also major vaccine headway, which is very positive. So a lot to look out for there. And you know, America really appears to be more divided than ever in every sense uh, uh, with, with different issues. You know, Whether it's Trump or Biden, do we wear a mask or do we not? Do we lock down or do we let businesses open? Uh, do we trust the media? A lot of things going on. And yet somehow the stock market has managed to have a positive year. It's very bizarre, it's unlike anything I've seen in my 20 years in the business. But it does go to show that the markets, they react ultimately on one thing, And that's, uh, are companies making money and are they adapting to change? And the reality is many are and many aren't. So owning the right types of companies, having good managers in the portfolios that are finding the right opportunities is more important than ever. And of course that's our job. We have been very pleased with our models this year. Uh, Today's speaker, Mike Gibbs, is a part of our investment committee. And um, he's also helps run one of our models that many of you, if you're a client on today, have in your portfolio. Um, he manages our all stock dividend kind of blue chip portfolio. And also we have one that's all growth, uh, growth stocks as well. Um, and Mike, his formal title, title is director of portfolio and technical strategy at Raymond James. A couple of things there also, uh. Mike, Mike's about to pop on here in a second. We have one of our um, viewers today, one of my clients that said, she actually went to high school with you and that you were the uh, quarterback of the high school football team. So.
1: I was really good at handing the ball off.
0: Yeah, <laughs> there you go.
1: Um, and, 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 I, and I went to school with her from grade school on. Oh, well,
0: you, know who you know who I'm talking about?
1: I did, she's an excellent, excellent tennis player and a wonderful
0: person. Oh, that's great, small world. Um, well, Mike's, Mike's, uh, lives in Memphis, which is where I was born. And, uh, we have a lot of, um, uh, kind of mutual things to talk about there, but we're going to do Q and a here at the end. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to moderate the bottom of the screen. So there's a question button. Feel free to answer those. If it's something, if, uh, I may interrupt Mike and, uh, politely and go over a question or I'll hold several of those to the end. So feel free to do that. And, uh, Mike, I'll let you go ahead and uh, take it away.
1: All right, I'm gonna share my screen before you go on mute. Am I, can you see the screen?
0: I cannot see the screen.
1: All right, I bet you can now. Got it?
0: There you go. Yep, you right,
1: good. perfect. Thanks everyone. Uh, I wanna to try to make sense of all this. David is right. We had a, um, actually the worst recession we've had since the Great Depression, but stocks had ran to an all-time high. So I'm gonna to try to explain it. And then I'm also gonna to try to explain where we go from here. Because there's one thing about the stock market, whatever looks logical turns out to be wrong. Uh, It's a very illogical animal and and it's been illogical to to go up in the face of really terrible economic conditions. And I'm gonna show you why. And it's because stocks are always looking ahead rather than looking at the here and now, which you and I are reading the headlines and stocks are already looking beyond that, looking outward. And, And what really made this market go up is what the Fed did with their balance sheet and then the fiscal stimulus package. Remember, we took, we had people that were unemployed that were actually making more money than they made when they worked. So the combination of the fiscal stimulus, the combination of the fact that the Central Bank took interest rates to zero and basically flooded the market uh, or the economy with liquidity is the reason stock prices went up. And that's what you're looking at over here. That blue line, that's the Fed balance sheet. And as you can see, as they flooded the market with liquidity, it took stocks higher. And this, just, this was not a 2020 phenomenon. This has been going on since the credit crisis. As the Fed expanded that balance sheet, it pulled stocks higher. And the way you think of this is money's like water. It's got to run somewhere. And that's what it runs to risk assets, real estate, stock prices, et cetera. And also stock market participants know that these zero interest rates are going to compel people to go out and borrow to add their bathroom in their house or their kitchen in their house or buy a new car. And that's why we're looking forward. And then also the economic data that we've had, even though it's been very bad, is much better than anyone would have ever guessed uh, when we were first looking at this in, in March and April. So you basically have these two catalysts over here, these positive catalysts really outweighed the economic collapse and the earnings collapse. And that's why stocks have gone higher. So I'm gonna set the tone of what we're looking at in in, in the future and going forward, because we are very positive on what we think the market's gonna do over the next 12 to 24 months. I'm gonna give you the bullet points and I'm gonna show you a few pictures that that basically reaffirm what I'm saying here. I'm gonna touch a little bit on our our portfolios that a lot of you are are using, then we'll field some questions. So first and foremost, I like to look at the market from a pro and con situation. There's always good things and there are always bad things and you have to balance those out to determine which outweighs the other. And currently the pros do outweigh the cons. And what are the pros? The pros are, do not fight the Fed. I showed you the balance sheet on what's happened. The Fed has basically said, we've got your back. We're gonna keep interest rates long for a long period of time. Matter of fact, if our politicians continue to drag their feet on this next fiscal stimulus package, the Fed has already given hints that they're going to actually get a little bit more creative to do some things to get more liquidity in the market, to, to reassure the market because this, this virus is surging right now. But don't fight the Fed. And despite the fact that politicians are fighting on the next round of stimulus, we're going to get it. We just don't know the exact size. We don't know the exact timing of it. So the stock market knows that. And the stock market's pricing off of that. And that's why it keeps going up. There's an acronym being pot, uh, tossed around Wall Street. And it's been this way for, I guess, since the credit crisis. It's called TINA. There is no alternative to stocks. And basically, when the Fed, it, you look at investments, and it's always like, where can I put my money? I have choices, stocks, bonds, real estate, whatever it may be. And when the Fed moves interest rates or what one of those competitive assets is paying, in, the, in this case, the bond market, basically, they're pushing you to the stock market. And so there is no other place to put it. Stocks yield more than bonds. So it's an easy call for people to pull money there. So that vacuum of money coming in helps support the prices. And that's not going away anytime soon uh, either. Uh, We're going to see the economy continue to improve. We're going to see earnings improving Uh, based on the vaccine that's out there. We're probably going to see the economic conditions loosen up and us to have conviction to open things up and go do things probably the middle part of next year uh, at the latest because of the timing of the virus, and the vaccine, I'll touch on that here in a second. And as the economy improves and the earnings improve, it'll pull stock prices even higher. Remember, earnings are the mother's milk of the stock market. That's what makes a stock price go up is the type of profits a company is earning. Uh, The virus and the vaccine, the virus, despite the fact that it's surging again, We know a lot more now today than we do in March and April and May. Uh, We know to put people on their stomach. We know to give them vitamin D. We know to give them steroids. We know all these different tricks that can slow this virus down and keep people from dying. Um, And we have other different therapeutics that, although they may not be approved, doctors are using them off-label, and they are successful to keep the, the death rates down. And so despite the surge we're having here, the death rates and hospitalizations are not near as cumbersome as they were. Now, they're going up pretty rapidly. and That's an issue we'll talk about on the con side of the market. And then obviously the vaccine. We've gotten good news last Friday in Pfizer, Moderna uh, this week. Uh, remember, we have some others still in the works, J&J, Merck, uh, the Oxford study in England. We have a lot of entities that are These aren't fly by night entities. These are some of the who's who in the world medically. And they've been thrown an indefinite amount of capital to go out and produce a virus. And that's why we're seeing a vaccine, produce a vaccine. Pardon me. That's why we're seeing the speed of getting this vaccine done and get a 90 percent success um, uh, ratio from those vaccines is because we're just committed to doing it. Uh, also, this bull market's early. Your, your average bull market lasts over three and a half, half years. This one started in, in basically at the bottom of March. So we've got more to go there. And it's been a very strong market. My group runs technical strategy for the firm. And not to bore you with all of that, but basically it's looking under the hood of the car. You can hear how the engine's working, but it really pays to get under the hood and see that how, how all, how, if all your parts are working at one, are they strong, are they healthy? And so we're looking under the hood of the market, and we've seen a lot of strength there that tells us, if you go back, I can take you back 100 years, when you've seen this type of technical strength coming out of bear markets, it's telling you that you're gonna see pretty good returns when you're looking 12, 18, 24 months out. And then finally, and this is the biggie that we'll touch on here, this is what's been called a bifurcated market. Uh, In this lockdown, we've had companies that have done fantastic. Amazon, delivering those packages to your home. Amazon, with their cloud computing uh, area of their business, because all of us are working remotely, we're really using those services. Home Depot, because all of you at home, a lot of you planted a garden and planted a garden in 20 years. Uh, you're fixing up your bathrooms, your bedrooms. Uh, there's Aries Best Buy. Uh, we're having to buy equipment, new monitors that we're buying and different equipment. So a lot of Aries economy did really, really well. And those stock prices have done well, they've gone up a lot. But there are other areas of the economy that have acted like they typically do in an economic contraction. Uh, Industrials, we we totally shut down the manufacturing, uh, restaurants, retail, other areas have really acted like they do in a recession, in some cases much worse than we ever do in a recession. And those stocks haven't gone up. So as the economy heals, and those areas will get a lift. Their, their fundamentals and their earnings will improve. And there's opportunity for money to rotate down to those areas and move them up and, and give us this next leg up in this bull market. And for what it's worth, there's 43%, almost half of the S&P 500. The stocks are still 15% below the 52-week high. And... Um, So that's a big number, and we have the opportunity for those to come up. So those are really the catalysts on why we're positive. Now, what are the headwinds? And you always have to pay attention to what are the things that could be troubling? And the way to approach it as an investor, and this is the way we do it as investors, is we know these headwinds are out there, and we know they're probably going to cause some hiccups in the market, but we have to separate which is noise and which is real. What does that mean? Noise is things that happen on a regular basis in the stock market. And it, it, it shifts that short-term hot money investor, uh, it shifts their attitude to thinking they should be selling and taking some profits. Well, for a long-term investor like me, who knows that I make more money if I look out 12, 24, 36 months as opposed to next week, I ignore that noise because I think it's something that's just going to cause the market to pause, pull back a little bit before it starts to go back up as all those investors come back to the market. So we try to separate what's noise and what's real. What would be real would be something that could cause the economy to roll over into a double dip recession. And remember that recessions in bear markets go hand in glove. And so that's really what we're looking out for being a long term investor. So the macro, the economy, uh, with us starting to shut some things down on a targeted basis, not near to the degree we did uh, last spring, we're probably gonna see some economic weakness into Q4 and into Q1 of 2021. That's not the type of weakness that that would would make me fearful of a two, two quarter downturn, which equates to a recession. It would be more of a short term, but we may have a quarter that prints a negative number. We'll just have to wait and see. Uh, The stock market's expensive. Uh, A market that's gone up as much as this one has gone up when earnings are depressed. Remember your valuation combines the price level versus the earnings, the profits of the stock market. And profits just haven't been going up that much because the conditions or economic conditions are so bad, but prices have gone up. So in that environment, you should expect the market to be expensive. Now, as these other areas of the market that have been left behind and have been losing money catch up, that valuation will start to look better. Uh, The bifurcated market that I mentioned before, uh, myself as a market technician, when I'm looking beneath the hood, one of the things that I look for is what doesn't look quite right? And if I only have a select few number of stocks leading the market up while everything else is going down, that's typically a warning sign. Now, it's more a warning sign when a market's peaking as opposed to when one's recovering from a bear market. Uh, so, but nonetheless, it's something that's on our list. And then inflation. Now, throughout my career, I've been doing this 35 years. Inflation was the big negative word. Uh, it was a thing that everyone is fearful of. Now, as over the last probably five to ten years, inflation has become something that no one's afraid of, and there's a reason for that. Uh, we have an aging population. We have an economy that, uh, back in the baby boomers' best years in the mid '80s to 2000. Uh, We were a 4% growth economy. We're only a 2% growth economy. Wages aren't going up. A lot of different things that I think are structurally in place to hold inflation down. But nevertheless, whenever you throw this much liquidity at the market, this much money floating around, it sometimes can trigger inflation. I don't think that's a risk, but it's something that in the back of our mind we are paying attention to as we go forward. And then finally, the virus spread. And remember the vaccine that we have. We have a two month study going on now about the safety of it. And so we have some other things, you know, as it relates to the vaccine. There are questions about distributing it and the fact that Pfizer's virus has or or vaccine has to be. Held at such cold temperatures, those aren't issues. Those are the easy things to figure out. Uh, all it takes is a little money there uh, to get it out. And most uh, most hospitals, uh, a lot of uh, drugstore or, or um, pharmacies actually, you know, can actually keep this stuff cold enough for a long enough period to get it distributed. And then finally, and this is a noise item, we have an election, we have a, a runoff coming in Georgia, um, and that's to determine those last two Senate seats, and it will determine. Who controls the Senate? Now, coming into this election, the general consensus was that Biden not only was gonna win, but the Democrats were going to absolutely have a blue wave sweep to where not only they gained seats in the House, but they really took over the Senate. Many uh, pollsters were telling us that they would take over the Senate in a pretty convincing way, not to the point where they could get some of their agenda done. The stock market originally was against that agenda because that meant higher taxes. Higher taxes means lower earnings. Lower earnings means lower stock prices, or not as not as elevated stock prices. Um, the market shifted there in the very end because they thought the Democrats would be the ones to come in and get this big fiscal stimulus package passed, and that would give us this next surge in the market. And But on the election day, some things happened that no one expected, as they always do, by the way, and if we'd had this seminar or this webinar long before the election, it's been, we wrote a piece a while ago, we are huge proponents that it makes no sense to do any major portfolio moves before the election. There is too many different outcomes that can happen, and there are too many other variables that come in play rather than just who's in D.C., and I still believe that today. But I'm telling you what, what the market's interpreting the election is, uh, what happened with the election, what it means. And the biggest deal from this particular election was how well the Republicans did. And not only did they do much better in the Senate than anyone expected, they actually gained quite a few seats in the House. And what this did was, and this is why the market's been positive on this, is it really means we probably have a divided government. And the market loves a divided government. And in the case of this particular situation, There were some Wall Street participants, and I'm not playing politics here. I'm not saying what's right or what's wrong. I'm just telling you the position of Wall Street. And it was that if the Democrats had had that resounding victory, even though I think the market was gonna celebrate the fiscal stimulus, I think eventually the market would have been awakened to the fact that taxes were gonna go up dramatically and a regulatory environment would have gotten a little tougher. Um, There are some areas of the Democratic Party that are very quite progressive right now. And I'm not saying it's right or wrong. I'm just telling you, Wall Street would not have liked it when all the dust settled. But what happened with the Democrats losing seats in the Senate or in the House and not taking over the Senate to the degree that everyone had feared, it means that this aggressive, progressive agenda is off the table. Um, They will raise taxes, but not to the degree they would have. Uh, There's a lot of different areas that would have been fearful for Wall Street to look at that probably don't transpire now. So the net sum of this is the market's pretty happy now. Now the risk will be if we get the Democrats, if the Democrats do win those two Georgia seats and they take over the Senate, although I don't, I think their victory is going to be so narrow and the fact that they still won't control the House, I don't think they can pass that real aggressive progressive agenda. But if that were to happen, the stock market will react to it. And the stock market right now is pricing in the fact that probably the Republicans will win it and will stay divided. But if a different outcome happens in early January, stocks will pull back some. Not a lot. If they do, it'll be a good buying opportunity. So uh, as you can see, we're, we're positive on the market going forward. We think the pros outweigh the cons. If we put some valuations on the market, And we're going to be updating these over the next couple of weeks as we prepare our 2021 outlook. But our base case has been 3,600 by the end of 2021. That's before we got the vaccine from Pfizer and before we got this divided government. And we're going to have a bias to that 3910, that upside number. So you're talking potential double digits when you throw in your dividends. And there is upside to that number as well, because we think earnings per share, quite frankly, can be higher. So, let me go over a couple of these things, uh, you know, just to kind of give you something that backs these up, rather than just me talking and saying them. And then we'll open it up to some questions. Well, here's the vaccine. Uh, we have a, a biotech analyst, Steve Seedhouse, that follows uh, Pfizer and the others as far as the vaccine goes, and that 90% effective rate for the vaccine was absolutely incredible. You're usually talking 40 to 50% with the flu uh, virus vaccine, so very very good and it gave us some resounding uh belief that you know we actually can you know take care of this virus when it's all said and done and by the end of 2021 uh between Moderna and between Pfizer they're talking about 2.3 billion doses available uh yeah there's 7.3 billion people in the world but it gets us moving along to where we open the economy so what's important about this I was just reading some research before I got on the call and the research provider was talking about the year in Europe and in Europe right now they're probably going to get half of Pfizer's doses and so they get uh, by April and they're saying that by April Pfizer can produce 300 uh, million doses so they get 150 million. It takes two doses per person so you can can inoculate uh, 75 million people in Europe and you think well that's not a lot considering uh, the amount of people in Europe but the important thing is it covers all the healthcare workers and it covers basically the 80 year old and over population and really puts a good dent in the 65 to 80 year old population. That lets you open your economy back up because the reason we've had to shut things down is because our healthcare system can't handle a run on all the ICU beds and we can't handle it if we really overwhelm it, not only just the beds, but the healthcare workers themselves. But if we get them inoculated, uh, then you can open up the rest of the economy and the rest of us will just have to practice social distancing, wearing masks, et cetera, et cetera. And therefore, you're talking about the middle part of next year to where the economies really start to fall to where we really get some things moving and get things opened up. And remember, the stock market always looks to the future. So despite this virus outbreak right now, the market right now is looking through that. And it's looking to the point that when we do get things opened up, here are all the other companies that are working on vaccines. So we've got these two that have been very successful. There'll be a lot of these that are successful as well. So we are we actually probably, those, that statistics I just gave you, they probably will be better than that as far as inoculating the world's population. Uh, so the vaccine's there. The virus is, is spiking right now. It's going to cause a little bit of... Uh, Angst in the market, maybe, but the stocks, I do believe, are looking through that. They're looking to the vaccine, and that means that any weakness you see, I think I'd be a buyer. Next up is fiscal stimulus. When are we going to get it? We're going to get it. We just don't know exactly when. Uh, The recent spike in the COVID uh, is actually – I'm not going to say it's a good thing. It's a good thing in the context of it's going to push politicians to – kind of get together and get something out there, some sort of rescue package, some sort of something, even if it's the, even if it's the Bridges. Right now, that will do that. McConnell, you know, post the election, we need another rescue package. Um, here recently, he's referenced the skinny deal. Pelosi's holding out for a bigger package, et cetera, et cetera. There's politics involved here with that Democrat Senate runoff, you know, how they're going to position uh, prior to that. Uh, but we're going to get something. We just don't know exactly when. Uh, December eleventh is an important date. The government funding deadlines then, and a lot of people are talking about tie some tie some stimulus along to that government funding package. We'll see if that happens. And I don't think they're talking just yet. But McConnell and Biden have a long, 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 long successful relationship. Uh, when Biden was vice president, McConnell's leading the Senate. There were two or three times during. That period of time where you had a stalemate on important government legislation that those two got together and got the deal done. So uh, That's another reason why the market's been a little bit positive is is the fact that those two have worked together and done it successfully in the past. So Here's where we were on election day. Market had gone through a drawdown and and the market took off since then. The market loves split government as I mentioned before and that's why we're uh, flirting with, with areas near the highs. Here's our surge in the virus in Europe if I lag this and you look at where Europe is starting to roll over just a little bit right here. If I updated this slide through uh, yesterday, this line's beginning to roll over a little bit. The U.S. is lagging Europe uh, by a week or two and I don't know that we will roll over quite as quickly as they did with the virus surge because they've shut down a lot more aggressively than we ever will. But it has been a good blueprint to watch. So we probably have a few more weeks of this number really la- uh, soaring for this round. I don't know what happens as we get into even colder weather, but uh, we'll probably start to see that, that, that lag just a little bit. I uh, won't spend a lot of time here. This, this reaffirms that, Tina, there is no alternative. Here's what your earnings yield on stocks. What's an earnings yield? You take earnings of the S&P 500, you divide it by the price, and you get an earnings yield. That basically, what are they delivering me as an investor? And it's almost 4%. Now I can go out and buy a 10 year bond at at 0.85%. And actually I can get a dividend yield on the the S&P 500 at 1.66%. So you can see what the the central banks have done. They basically have pushed investors into the stock market because there's just nowhere else to put your money. Um, Won't spend a lot of time here. I will spend some time here And this is real important because as an investor, we all get caught up on elections. We get caught up on the Fed. We get caught up on all these other things. But at the end of the day, if you're going to be a true stock market investor and try to determine what's really the fuel that drives my portfolio over a long period of time, it's the profitability that the companies deliver. And here's profits for the S&P 500. You can see in 2020 how they really just went straight down. Well, this is what happens when we turn to Q1 of 2021. They start to get very positive uh, on a growth rate. And investors have a tendency to look at what's the progression of this earning stream, a lot of times more so than what's the absolute level of those earnings. So this is another catalyst to help us in our market as we go forward. And then here's the biggie. This is, I want to spend a little bit of time here because this talks about the bifurcation of the market. This also, for those of you using our, our model portfolios, this drives us as a portfolio manager to the attention of areas that we think could give us opportunity in the future for your money in those portfolios. And what you're looking at here are your traditional, deeply cyclical areas, the, the areas of the economy that really suffer when you go through an economic contraction. Industrials, you know, the manufacturing just shuts down. Consumer discretion, sometimes if you're not making money, you're not spending it. The financials, believe it or not, the banks and the financial system is one of the most economically sensitive sectors out there. A bank needs to make a loan. They need you to come to them needing a loan. Uh, And that just really falls off in an economic contraction, materials, chemical companies, et cetera. And as you can see, this is what happened to their earnings in 2020. Well, this is what happens next year. These same companies that had these terrible earnings, notice how these earnings start to spike on the upside. That will start to pull investors over to those sectors and playing those sectors, and those sectors are well below their 2020 highs. Now, on the flip side of that, you've got a lot of sectors over here, technology, healthcare. We went through the worst economic conditions since the Great Depression, and they still put up some pretty decent earnings growth, despite all those challenges. Now, I'm not telling you that you need to come out of healthcare technology and all that and run and buy all these. I think that would be the inappropriate thing to do. Do you want me to ask? You got a question, David? Yeah,
0: yeah, somebody asked a relevant question that I believe is on this slide. They asked, what are your thoughts on where fossil fuel energy stocks fit in 2021, like Marathon and Chevron, which I believe are part, part of the model right now. So you may get to that, but I wanted to go ahead and get that out there.
1: Um, Yeah, well, if you can look right here, it does sort of play in the slide. Look how weak it's been for energy. And then look at the potential growth for energy next year. Now, I will say Marathon and Chevron in the portfolio right now, there's another thing for you to consider that you may not realize when you're looking at what you own. Me as your portfolio manager, it's as much important that, that what you own as well as the percentage of your portfolio that is in that stock. And Marathon and Chevron are very small positions relative to an Apple or a Microsoft right now. It's my job as the portfolio manager to determine when to increase those allocations. And as I sit here today, I can't really come to the conclusion that I want to increase those allocations dramatically. Energy is still suffering with some supply demand imbalances. Uh, We still don't have a a good firm handle on what demand is gonna be for the product, you've got a lot of uh, alternative fuel type uh, technologies that are out there. Uh, energy will have it stay in the sun and it may be sooner rather than later. And I'll make that determination when it's time to do that. But those stocks are in there. Um, and as you can know, if, if you notice the portfolios, the way we run it, we like to own the creme de la creme. I learned this a long time ago as an investor in my 35 year career that if I need to be in a certain sector, a certain area, If I will buy some of the best stocks and some of the best companies in those areas, I have a tendency to do pretty well as an investor. And Marathon and Chevron are two of the the class stocks or or companies in the areas of the market they they represent. So um, it's a lot of potential on the upside. I'm not saying that it would be my favorite area today. I think I would like the industrials better from where we sit today. If you look at industrial production that came out today, we've got an undersupplied world. Have you tried to go out and buy a car? I just recently bought one, and I had to wait for months because they didn't have any on the lots. Uh, washing machines, a Whirlpool today announced that they've had they had the the largest uh, production month since 1996 for washing machines. You got to remember, everything shut down, but we kept wearing things out—refrigerators, washing machines, etc. So this is coming back better right now on the industrial side. So it would probably be more interest to me than energy, but. Let me get back to where I was. Uh, This earnings growth next year, you have the opportunity to see the market cycle around because this year, look at technology up 29%, banks down 12% and real estate down 5%. Industrials only up 5% versus the market up 10. So there's a lot of opportunity down here. And as I mentioned before, Uh, yet 27% of the stocks are 20% below their 52-week high and 40% are 15% below. And most of those reside in these areas down here and give us the opportunity to make money there. Now, I I wanted to get back to where I I was talking about. Don't interpret this as something that I've got to get out of these areas that have done well and into these areas that have not done so well. I think that's the inappropriate thing to do as we sit here today because even next year, Te- technology and healthcare are going to put up some very respectable growth at 13 and 14 percent. And also, there's some things that, ha- that have that happened from this pandemic. I'm sitting here in my guest house in Memphis, Tennessee, and when we open back up as a company, I'm not sure that I'm going back to the office full time. It's 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 comfortable to work here at home. And to do that, there's certain areas in technology that I'm going to have to utilize uh, to make that happen. So. Yeah, I'm not, it's not one, it's, this is not binary. It's not one or the other. There's still ample opportunity in these areas that have done well, but I think that these areas that have been out of favor have a chance to lift as we move into 2021 and 2022, and that helps give us the next leg up in the market. Let's talk about dividend paying strategies, because a lot of you use that equity income strategy, and those of you that use it, your returns have been much better this year, but, Think about this. Through November 11th, the average dividend-paying stock in the S&P 500 was flat on the year. Zero gain. The average non-dividend-paying stock was up 17%. I've never seen anything like that for the market to be that that bifurcated on returns. Look at the stocks that yield more than 4%. They're down 14% year-to-date versus no dividend up at 17%. Let's look at what happened the day that we got the news on the Pfizer vaccine. From that day going forward, your stocks that yield more than 4%, remember they they were down 14% year to date, they jumped 11%. Your no-dividend payers only jumped 0.8%. I'm not saying that this is what's going to happen, but I'm just saying it's a good example that sort of reaffirmed what I mentioned on this previous slide is some of these lagging sectors catching up. And I'll note that down here, most of these sectors that have underperformed, these are some of your higher dividend paying sectors in the S&P 500. Um, so I'm a huge believer, if you go back and look at dividend paying strategies, let's see if I have that in here, yes. Dividend paying strategies over the last 10 years, your fastest, your group that, that, that increased their dividend at the fastest rate, meaning they increased it faster than the S&P 500, they produced your best return of almost 19%. The ones that, that grew their dividends slower than the S&P 500, only up 14.5%. Those that had some sort of cut in their dividend, only 12% versus 147 for the S&P 500. So it's a strategy that I embrace. It's a strategy that I use uh, in our portfolios of looking for dividend growth. Did you have a question, David?
0: Yeah, pretty relevant to that slide. Um, what are your key criteria in selecting stocks for the dividend portfolio?
1: Uh, well, first of all, I am a believer in quality and I'm a believer in going with the creme de la creme. You know, why do I own in software? Why do I own Microsoft? Well, it happens to have the best balance sheets, one of the best run companies. And oh, by the way, it's an old line technology company that has really become the number two player in one of the fastest growing areas of technology. It's cloud computing. Amazon's number one, Microsoft's number two. So- I'm looking for large cap, high quality, something I can hang on to a long time, long period of time. And I'm typically looking for a catalyst. And that catalyst was was that cloud computing for Microsoft. And then also, oh, by the way, with Microsoft, I'm giving you dividend growth. Remember, your dividend growers have a tendency to do better. So over the last five years, they've increased their dividend 10 percent per annum. And over the next three years, they're projected to grow their dividend at about 15% per annum. So it's a lot of different variables that come in there. And it depends on what am I looking for today uh, in that portfolio to drive the return. And uh, that's one of the things that drives it.
0: Great. Thanks, Mike. You
1: you may summarize my market comments and I'll shift to the portfolios and then we'll do some questions.
0: Yep. That sounds great. All
1: right. Let's summarize. All right. 2021, uh, that's going to be a bridge year. Uh, Till we return back to a fully normal economy, which probably happens in 2022. And remember, stocks always discount the future. They're already looking for that. Matter of fact, when we're valuing Microsoft or Amazon, we're looking at what that company can earn in 2022 to 2023, and trying to apply that to value today. The economy, it's been much better than fear than we would have ever guessed it would have been in March probably grows at about 3.9% in 2021. We probably get earnings per share growth of 20% in 2021. How does that compare? Our US economy is a 2% growth economy. And if you look at, we're growing our workforce at one half of 1% per annum. That equates to about a 2% growth economy. During the baby boomer years from say 85 to 2000, we grew our workforce at about 2% per year. That's a 4% growth economy. But we're a 2% growth economy now, but we're probably going to get close to double that in 2021. The earnings per share growth rate for the S&P 500 since 1954 is 6.4%. We're going to grow it at 20% next year. So as you can see, those are catalysts for us to be positive on the upside. We think that the potential uh, price target for the S&P, and S&P is trading right now at $3,618. Uh, it says 3639 3,900 is our bias up towards that level and could be even higher than that, depending on how the, the, the restart and the macro progresses. Uh, the potential rotation around in this market to those areas that are out of favor uh, gives us upside and gives us another leg of this market. Some of the noise headlines in the near term, and you use these as catalysts to be a buyer, is this virus resurgence, uh, how does it impact the economy, the Georgia runoff, what happens there, and then also this fiscal stimulus package. And when you're in a market that's gone up this much, when you're you're in a market that still has a lot of these different moving variables, just be conditioned to expect pullbacks anywhere from three to up to 15%. I think 15% is a real outlier, but we've had a couple of uh, nine, eight, nine and 10% pullbacks already. And I think that we'll see that to continue in the coming year. And, but if, if we do, And this is the key thing here. If we do get those pullbacks, there's going to be a headline that's going to make you a little fearful. Remember, if that headline is not something that looks like it will cause a double dip recession in our economy, it's noise. And the market will not get to that 20 to 30 percent sell off like it typically does in a recession. And in that case, it's a buy. So we try to keep everyone up to date on that and what our thoughts are. Uh, on the other side of this, you know, I've never seen in my 35-year career, I've never seen a period of market dislocation where everyone, you know, they've lost some money or, or, or some things really are, are messing with them emotionally and, and trying to disrupt, you know, their long-term thought process as an investor, which is really how you make money. But during all those periods, when I go back and think about them and look at them, every one of them have created unique investment opportunities on the other side. And this pandemic with my ability to, to be comfortable, I've been, I'm old school. I've been doing this 35 years. And it was like getting in the office at 6.30 and stay till 6 at 9. I kind of figured out I don't need to do that. I mean, I can still work those long hours, but I can do it on my terms from home. And there's a lot of companies out there that need to help me do that. 5G technology, e-commerce, all the things, the way we're using it, uh, healthcare, you know, um, we will not be unprepared ever again. Southeast Asia was prepared for this because they've dealt with viruses and pandemics before. We already spend 16% of our GDP on healthcare. It's going to over 20%. It probably goes up even more than that. Uh, That makes me exciting about what's happening as an investor. There's that that much money sloshing around in an industry an enterprising individual or company is going to make a lot of money at it, and so me as an investor, I get to invest in those companies, and so it's very exciting on some things that will transpire on the other side of this. So uh, I'll stop there, uh, David. You give me some guidance here if you want me to touch on just sort of our methodology on the portfolios, um, or if we've talked about the portfolios enough, you guide me there. Now I think you. I
0: think that was pretty. Uh, that was a great presentation. I think you did a good job summarizing on the dividend model. Would you say anything for the growth model? Would you say, uh, would you add anything to that? Um, just kind of the yeah. selection process, high level?
1: Yeah, I, You know, obviously dividend investing is a great strategy. If you look at our portfolio, it's been about 7% less volatile than the market since we started it over a decade ago. Uh, those growing dividends. The vast majority of investors in our population are baby boomers that need the income. They'd like to have a portfolio that maybe is not quite as volatile, et cetera, et cetera. So it's a great strategy. But as an investor, I love the growth strategy. Uh, I love it because instead of looking for that dividend growth, and by the way, I'm looking for dividend growth and equity income, but if my dividends are growing, it means my earnings are growing. And remember, earnings are what pull your stock prices higher, But in the growth portfolio, I'm really focusing on the earnings growth. And you'll see our earnings growth is typically much better than the market itself. And I'll also get to invest in some companies that I can't invest in in the equity income model, company like Visa. And by the way, I'm not telling you to go buy Visa. I'm just giving an example of what I own and what really drives me as an investor. And I like to find something that, that common sense, it, it just it makes a lot of sense as an investor that, gosh, if I could buy this company, just buy it out and own it myself, is it something I'd want to own? And think about this with Visa. They make money every time that we swipe a card. They're not lending us money, so they're not taking any of that risk. It's just the middleman. It's making that transaction happen. Think of how often we swipe those cards and they make money. Now in Europe, they don't swipe cards quite as much as we do, but they will. It'll keep going up. Apple Pay, I use my Apple Pay every time I go, anytime someone accepts it, that's going through my Visa card. Uh, All this e-commerce, you have to pay for it somehow. Uh, Even though I might be using PayPal, my PayPal account's hooked to my Visa card. Uh, So you you have an entity that, okay, I see that the the mass volume that's going to be coming through uh, that company's channel, and they make money every time it happens. And for that reason, this is a company that remember its bottom line profits would really drive me. And this is a company that can grow their, grow their top line revenues, call it 10, 11, 12%, and turn that into 18, 19, 20% profitability. That's a key for us as an investor. What am I making up here? And can I grow my profits much more rapidly than that? That tells me there's leverage, profit leverage in that business model. And how many entities in the world can do that? Visa, MasterCard, Discovery, American Express, maybe PayPal to a degree. And that's it. That's that, that's what you had to have some Chinese companies to do whatever on that side. But that's really what you have. And there's barriers to entry. They can't get in there. So that's a dynamic company that I like owning it. And you, if, if you've owned a growth portfolio, you've known you've owned it for a long time. Uh, something's going to have to change dramatically before I would find a reason to sell that. So I get to buy companies like that. You know, we just took a position recently um, in, Keys, in Keys, K-E-Y-S, and it's a does all the test equipment for 5G. Now, you know, Apple just rolled out that iPhone that's 5G. And did you realize that, look at your heat map in Nashville, Tennessee, and I can look here in Memphis, and there's not a lot of areas I can use that 5G at this point in time. Well, that means they got to really, you know, Verizon's on board. All the others, they got to really get out there and get that equipment out there so we can use that 5G technology. Well, this company's strategically positioned for that, it doesn't pay a dividend, so they just. It opens up other opportunities that we can take advantage of from a growth standpoint. That really solidifies a portfolio and gives us diversity. Um, you know, and more. You probably get more unique. You know, I'm always looking for a catalyst-driven stock, and I probably can get more catalyst driven stocks in the growth side than the income stride, just because the way those business models are set up. So, um, and then also on the growth side, you know, we go with 25 stocks instead of 20 because some of these stocks can be a little bit more volatile. I mean, our beta, our, our, our volatility has been about 6% more than the market, but you get more, you should get more in return if you're taking on a little bit more volatility.
0: Gotcha. (laughs) That's great. Uh, last last question. We in our portfolios, we've been uh, actively managed ones. We've been overweight growth for the last few years, and we've seen value. I mean, value kind of lag. Do you see that rotation happening next year? To where? I mean, we I think we understand the story for growth, even with COVID and coming out of it with technology and specifically technology. But as far as value, do you see that rotation happening? Where we should get back to more of a neutral weighting, but at least neutral.
1: I'm not there yet. David, you know I do the ticker talk on Wednesday for everyone that and I do a ticker talk a call for all the advisors and it's something we cover every week. And I look at it a couple different ways. We look at the fundamentals, but we also look at the technical trends. And you know, the technical trends will actually alert you before the fundamental trends and right now the bake off between growth and value is basically technology versus healthcare and financials. Healthcare and financials are the two largest components of the value index. Technology is by far the largest of growth index. So right now, with what we've seen since the Pfizer vaccine and now with Moderna, you're seeing value doing a little bit better because investors are down here rushing into these stocks. And so they're pulling up the value trade just a little bit. But I'm not 100% convinced that I would make that big move yet. And then also as an investor, what I've found more success is not plunging. In other words, I don't have to make the decision one day and just totally flip a portfolio. I can see the trends start to improve, maybe like they're improving now. And let's say that you're way overweight growth. Maybe you're trimming that a little bit adding a little bit to value. And then let's give it a few weeks or a few months and let it progress. And if that trend continues, you just continue to shift uh, the way you're set up till you get to a point where you're you're, you're where you want to be in terms of balance.
0: Great. Yeah, that's kind of what our plan's been going into next year. Okay, great. Um, I don't see any more questions. Um, So with that, really thank you for your time, Mike. And we will make a, uh, we recorded this, so we'll make a replay available that we will email out to everybody and put on our website and that sort of thing if you want to share it or rewatch it. So, Mike, thank you so much.
1: Great. Thanks, David. Have a great day, everyone. Take care.
0: Thank you for listening today to Retire While You Work. I'm David Adams and hope you'll continue to listen as we discuss creative ways to manage your time and money. And now some friendly disclaimers to make my compliance department at Raymond James happy. Here we go. Any opinions are those of myself, David Adams, and not necessarily those of Raymond James. Expressions of opinion are as of this date and are subject to change without notice. The information contained... In these podcasts, do not purport to be a complete description of the securities markets or developments referred to in this material. The information has been obtained from sources considered to be reliable, but we do not guarantee that the foregoing material is accurate or complete. Every investor situation is unique, and you should consider your investment goals, risk tolerance, and time horizon before making any investment. Prior to making an investment decision, please consult with your financial advisor about your individual situation. Any hypothetical examples are for illustration purposes only. Actual investor results will vary. Raymond James does not provide legal or tax services. Please discuss these matters with the appropriate professional.
1: (sighs) There you go.